Welcome, sports fans. You have entered the man cave of the one and only Fan Man, broadcasting from his lazy boy recliner somewhere in the Vale of Paradise known as Valparaiso, Indiana. Hey sports fans, welcome to the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch all of the Fan Man Podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and most other platforms. Now I've heard a lot of people say they don't watch the NBA anymore. They don't like the brand of basketball. And I agree with them. What's wrong with the NBA? Well, I'm going to tell you 15 things that are wrong with the NBA. Problem one for the NBA, competitiveness. The league has grown increasingly less competitive. Today, the league stars can all be found in New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, which are home to LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Blake Griffith. The league is much less competitive as a whole. And look at these teams. Look at these teams that have not been competitive. Let's first talk about the Brooklyn Nets. With Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, now with the franchise, the Nets, the Nets soon, soon, and currently are reaching their potential. But before this, the Nets and the Knicks and, uh, you know, the New York scene for many, many years has been horrific in basketball. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in this podcast. Then you got the Charlotte Hornets. The history of the Charlotte Hornets gets a little tricky. They were first established in 1988. The team played 14 seasons in Charlotte before moving to New Orleans ahead of the 02-03 season. In 2004, the city was given an expansion franchise, which was first called the Bobcats before becoming the Hornets in 2014. A year earlier, the New Orleans Hornets rebranded as the Pelicans and returned the history, stats, and records of the Hornets from 1988 to the end of the 2001-2002 season back to Charlotte. The Hornets have never won an NBA title or even reached the NBA Finals. The Hornets are not a competitive franchise. Then we have the Denver Nuggets. You look at them now, you say, oh, wow, okay, they are competitive. Nikolai Jocic and such, right? But the Nuggets have gotten to the Western Conference Finals on four occasions, most recently in 2020, where they lost to the eventual champion Lakers in five games. Then we have the Indiana Pacers. The Pacers have appeared in the NBA Finals just once, 
losing to the Lakers in six games in 2000. They're the only team in the Central Division to have not won an NBA championship. Enter the Los Angeles Clippers. They have never reached the conference finals, but things are getting better these days with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the roster. But it's still the Clippers, and you just never know. Enter the Memphis Grizz. The Grizz have gotten to the Western Conference Finals, which they lost in 2003 to the San Antonio Spurs in a four-game sweep. Enter the Minnesota Timberwolves. They made eight straight postseason appearances in the Kevin Garnett era, the final one coming in 2004 when they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals before losing to the Lakers in six games. Minnesota has made just one playoff appearance since. The Timberwolves are not a competitive organization. Then you have the New Orleans Pelicans. The franchise owns one division title and two series wins in the postseason, but has never made it past the second round. Still a young organization. Enter the Orlando Magic. Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. That dynamic duo led the team to the NBA Finals in 1995, but the Magic were swept by Hakeem Olajuwon's Houston Rockets. The Magic were then swept in the Eastern Conference Finals the following season by Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls, and then Shaq bolted to Los Angeles. Enter Dwight Howard into the picture for the Magic. Dwight Howard took the Magic back to the NBA Finals in 2009, but they couldn't get past Kobe Bryant's Lakers. Orlando is not a competitive franchise. Enter the Phoenix Suns. The Suns made two appearances in the NBA Finals, but lost both. In 1976, the Suns matched up with the Boston Celtics, a series that included the first triple overtime game in finals history. Paul Westfall was great. The Suns lost that game and the Celtics went on to win the series in six games. 17 years later, Phoenix took apart, uh, took apart in another triple overtime game, this time against the Bulls. The Suns won that game but lost the series. Enter the Utah Jazz. Beginning with the 1983-1984 season, Utah made 20 consecutive appearances in the postseason, 18 of those with Carl Malone and John Stockton. And what great players both of those guys were. The Jazz made consecutive appearances in the NBA Finals in 1997 and 1998, but lost to the Bulls both times, right? So Carl Malone and John Stockton, two of the greatest players in NBA history. But we, even that organization and that team could not win because most of the times in the big battles, they were either facing the Los Angeles Lakers with Magic Johnson or the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan. So there's a very 
very imbalanced when it comes to competitiveness in the NBA. And we'll talk a lot more about that. But I label that as problem one. Problem two for the NBA. There is just too much guaranteed money. The amount of money that is being guaranteed around the league has negatively impacted the way players, teams, and leagues operate. First, too many players are receiving max deals. Guys like Brandon Ingram, Andrew Wiggins, De'Aaron Fox, Al Horford, just to name a few. Are they really max players? Come on. They're good players, but do they, do they deserve max contracts? A lack of drive and effort by some NBA players after receiving a big contract is not uncommon. When fans see players not giving 100% on the court, they watch less. And they say, just give me the ESPN highlights. I'm not going to sit there and watch the entire game. When it comes to veteran contracts, NBA players have a distinct advantage in two main categories over NFL players. One, almost all NBA contracts are fully guaranteed, even if a player is injured or cut. Compared to the NFL, where the majority of contracts see partial guarantees paid within the first one or two years with no back-end financial commitment. This is why you see a massive amount of cuts each summer in the NFL, and most NFL fans are perplexed why certain guys are getting cut. But that's why they're getting cut. Two, an average NBA player gets paid a lot more than an elite NFL player, excluding the quarterbacks. So that is another problem. Real problem with the NBA is... Too much guaranteed money. And as a result of this guaranteed money, it's human nature. You know, these players are not going to play with the same amount of drive and effort that they would if they didn't have guaranteed contracts. Simple. That's simple. Problem three for the NBA. Player control and player movement. Now, when James Harden turned down a two-year, $103 million extension with the Rockets, which would have been more than $50 million a year, that would have made Harden the highest-paid athlete, base salary-wise, in the entire United States. And that offer was turned down. And when that offer was turned down by James Harden, the Rockets' leverage on Harden completely evaporated. And I believe in order for the league to return to a healthy, productive state, again, there needs to be fewer premium contracts for non-premium players. A huge reason disgruntled stars have leverage is because contracts are much shorter these days than they were a couple decades ago. In the 2005 and 2011 CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement, 
the NBA franchise owners pressed to shorten the maximum length of a player's contract. Teams really used to get themselves in trouble with expensive seven-year deals to average players who would have a fluke season and then fatten up the salary cap sheet for half a decade. It was, it was brutal. Let's talk about player movement. It's rare for star players to stay on one team for more than a couple of years. When all-stars are constantly on the move, it's hard for the league to market them. It's great for the player, but it's not great for the league. It's not great for the fan. It's not great for TV ratings. It's not great for anybody. Nobody except in that city where these players have moved to. But even after a couple of years, they move on again. And that again hurts the NBA. The league and the fans loved Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant. They built legendary careers on historic franchises. Larry Bird on the Boston Celtics, Magic Johnson on the Los Angeles Lakers, Michael Jordan on the Bulls, and Kobe Bryant on the Lakers. Now, the NBA was able to utilize, market, and monetize the careers of Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and Kobe Bryant. When LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard are signing new deals on their third team, it makes it harder for the league to market the teams and the players. Fans of the NBA are increasingly becoming fans of LeBron James, Kevin Durant, or Steph Curry, and not the entirety of the NBA. Think about that. Rub that up against the NFL, right? The NFL has Chicago Bears fans, Dallas Cowboy fans, San Francisco 49er fans, the Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Those fans don't jump around with the players like it's happening in the NBA. NBA teams have less and less control over their superstars. Even in the biggest of contracts, players have the option to walk away or renegotiate after the first couple of seasons in a long-term deal, keeping the power with the players. And again, the amount of guaranteed money and team hopping, what I like to refer to as forum shopping, from the NBA's biggest stars has ultimately made the league less competitive again. And once again, we know that less competition means less fans, less interest to watch the NBA. What about the small market teams? Some of them I mentioned earlier about teams who have really not been competitive over the course of NBA history. Small market teams will never win in the current environment. The Sacramento Kings, the Atlanta Hawks, come on. They simply don't have the ability to sign LeBron James and Anthony Davis to max contracts. 
their fan base knows there is no hope, so they watch less NBA games. Until the league addresses player movement, you know, until the league addresses player movement and NBA player control, the league is going to be less competitive due to an imbalance in the NBA. And can you imagine how great the NBA would be, though, if you just cut out half the teams in the league? Just took out half the teams in the league. You'd have a competitive game every single night. Regardless of all the other problems that I'm going to be talking about here in the NBA, if you had half the amount of teams, it would be so much more competitive. And that's how it was back in the competitive years of the NBA. And I hearken back to the 1970s. There was less teams. Every night you had a big matchup between someone. There were always competitive games. Problem four for the NBA, the regular season and the players sitting out of games. Let's talk about the regular season. Emphasis on the word regular, because that's really what it is. It's regular. Because the regular season in the NBA does not matter, and it has not mattered for some time. I mean, does anybody, I mean, even the most ardent NBA fan, if you told them, what's the standings? People know the standings don't matter. Just get yourself in the first eight, eight spots and get a playoff game. With the 82 regular season games, season, it is not uncommon for the eighth seed to finish at or below 500. And we see that every year and everybody kind of complains. Why should a team under 500 be in the playoffs? You can imagine for superstars whose teams are always decent and consist of other great players, what do they think of the NBA season? What does LeBron James, James, Kawhi Leonard really think about the NBA season? Do they care if they lose 20 games or 30 games? No. They know they will be in the playoffs come May and they want their bodies in peak shape heading into the playoffs. Also, when they get in the playoffs, they'll be playing an eighth seed who are really a tune-up for the next round of the playoffs. The 82-game schedule results in a drop in the level of basketball night in and night out in the NBA. With 82 games, it's nearly impossible for teams and players to put their best performances on the court every night. And fans want to see the best performances. And fans are entitled to see the best performances of NBA players. And I know entitled is a tough word, but why not? Look what a fan has to go through to see an NBA basketball game. Look at the cost of an NBA basketball game. And the cost that they're paying goes directly to the players in the NBA. The fans want to see the best performances. And when they don't get it, guess what happens? They turn the TV off and they'll throw on ESPN later on in the night and watch some of the highlights. Now let's talk about players sitting out. 
of games. As the superstars want to preserve themselves for the postseason, they often take the regular season off. Take numerous games in the regular season off. Well, as a consumer and a fan of basketball, no one wants to have a Lakers versus Nets game advertised all week by TNT to find out uh, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden will not be playing. Even more so, when perfectly healthy players take the night off against weak opponents, it often makes for a brutal watch. Think about it. You're so excited. You're going to an NBA basketball game. You get to the arena. You sit down in your seat. And you see one of the top superstars in the NBA in a suit on the sidelines. He will not be playing tonight. Guess what? The ticket that you just spent costs the same amount of money, right? How is that fair for a fan? How is that understandable for a fan? Anymore, it's not because the cost is so high. The quality of basketball mid-season has declined because players are in street clothes more often than not. It's amazing to look at the bench and see how many players are in street clothes. The NBA has a problem with sit-outs and when it happens on nationally televised games, especially, and when that happens, people turn off the TV. Sitting out on a random Tuesday night game is a big deal to the fans, let alone a primetime game on a Saturday. The support of the fans is what makes the salaries possible because without popularity and people wanting to come see the NBA games, the NBA wouldn't be able to sell tickets, which in turn would lower the amount of distribution back into the pockets of the NBA owners and players, TV networks, signed deals for broadcast rights on national TV, expecting a certain product. The fans expect a certain product. Resting players has a extreme effect on the competitive balance. A team may rest players during the heat of a playoff race where one game could decide whether they go on to the next round. When you rest players, you are intentionally not fielding the best team available for a given game. And that's wrong. Problem five for the NBA. Young people are not watching the entire game. The majority of young consumers who should be watching the NBA don't watch full games on cable TV anymore. It's lessening. There are young consumers who watch highlights on YouTube, Instagram, ESPN, etc., etc., right? Until the NBA can figure out how to monetize their entire demographic, it's going to decline. Let's face it, many young people, as well as older people, are not changing their entire evening plans to watch four quarters of an NBA basketball game from their living room anymore. It's just not happening as much. And again, that's bad for the NBA. 
I mean, sometimes the NBA can be something that you don't want to miss. You change plans, right, for some big, huge playoff games. But no one's doing that for the regular season. And even in the playoffs, how many playoff games have to go by before you really get into a meaningful game five, game six, or game seven where you sit and watch it for the entire game? It doesn't happen that much anymore. Problem number six for the NBA. Lack of defense in the NBA. Some teams, I just say no defense in the NBA. Other teams, I'll say a lack of good defense in the NBA. Some teams have defense. The good ones do, but the average of bad ones do not. A majority of teams play with no readiness on the defensive end. How many times have we seen NBA players D up a hot shooter? How many open shots are there? How many times do you see players drive down the lane or even all the way down the court uncontested? And how many times have we seen games where it just becomes a three-point shooting contest? It's like watching a game of horse at times. It seems like old-school aggressive defense is becoming a thing of the past. Michael Cooper, who used to D up Larry Bird. Where are the Michael Coopers of the world? Where are they? Basketball fans remember days when there was defense in the NBA. Where's the Jerry Sloans? Where's the Norm Van Leers? Defense brought out a more competitive spirit in the NBA, a more toughness. And it made for better rivalries where you had teams who had great offenses would be playing the teams who had great defenses. And an old proverb that I learned as a young man playing basketball was defense never takes a night off. You can have a poor shooting game, but defense never takes a night off. There's no excuse for not playing defense. There's no excuse in the NBA, no excuse in the NBA for not playing defense. Problem seven for the NBA. Let's talk about the NBA coaches. Some of them are coaches. Some of them are great coaches, right? Some of them could be great coaches if they actually coached. But maybe that's not what coaches should be doing in the NBA. It seems to me coaches have become babysitters or psychiatrists. Strong coaches who demand respect and actively run their teams are sort of like a dying breed in the NBA. Some NBA coaches come off as babysitters or psychiatrists, constantly trying to motivate players to perform up to their level. It's not like they're not getting paid enough. Then coaches have to deal with NBA players' temper tantrums. And they're played out by the media and after a while, it's just a turnoff for the fans. Problem eight for the NBA. Players whine about fouls all the time. And a new kid on the block that's doing this more than ever is Luka Doncic, of all people. But LeBron James, he's never committed a foul while playing in the NBA. Just ask him. 
He's just another one of the thousands of victims in the NBA wrongfully accused of committing fouls and penalized for the actions of others. In reality, no one gets the benefit of referee whistles more than LeBron James, who you see barrel who you see barrels down the court, barrels down the lane, knocking down everyone in his path to the hoop, and then he's looking around for a foul call. Then there's a large contingent of, of NBA players who never get calls and find themselves in foul trouble early in the game. There is a pecking order in the NBA who gets calls in the NBA in their favor. And it seems to be predetermined. You know, I mean, there's certain guys that get calls and there's certain guys that don't get calls. And this leads to the NBA's predictability. That is a turnoff for the fans. Problem nine for the NBA. Traveling. Traveling is legal. NBA referee approved dances occur all the way to the basket in the NBA. But, 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 only for approved players. You got to be on the list in order to travel. It's actually comical sometimes when you watch an NBA travel and the announcers are complicit because they act like it's no big deal. Even though they know it was a travel. If you keep telling yourself that this is the best basketball league in the world, well, at least, at least respect a fundamental rule. And this goes very well for the referees because they are, in fact, the ones that let this thing happen so much that it got worse and worse and worse. And now everybody's traveling. If you can get away with it, it's like the norm now. It's amazing. Problem 10 for the NBA, franchises in key markets that are dumpster fires. Premier NBA franchises like Boston, New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles need to be competitive. It's bad for business when franchises in Boston, New York, Chicago, and LA are mired in irrelevancy. You know, whatever happened to the rivalries between Boston and New York in the NBA, Chicago and Boston, New York and Chicago, we just don't see them anymore. These franchises need to be relevant if the NBA is going to be good because those franchises are in mega media markets and when their teams are bad, fans are watching something else besides the NBA. And I hate to say it sounds pompous, right? You know, we got to make the high market, the, the big market teams good. But the simple thing is it's not good for the NBA. Um, if you got the Utah jazz playing the Indiana Pacers or something in the, uh, NBA championship, I suppose. Problem 11 for the NBA. The last five minutes of an NBA basketball game takes like a half hour. A seemingly never-ending foul free throw shooting contest in a league where half the players can't shoot free throws, some of them. It becomes monster. It just becomes monstrously boring. 
and people lose interest, no matter how close the score is. About 10 commercials between timeouts just drives you crazy. People use the clicker and change the channel. And during the last five minutes of an NBA basketball game, when all these fouls are being called, and if you're sitting in the stands, you have all that piped-in rock music and other music going on, because they know, you know, they don't want people to leave. <laughs> they want to keep your interest, and that's why they have all the piped-in music during all these timeouts. Problem 12 for the NBA. We know this. Players are just too young when they when they join the NBA. It's okay for one or two young superstar players, but when a lot of players are too young when they join the NBA, it hurts the NBA brand. And that's a reason for the erosion in NBA quality. It's the ever earlier age at which players join the league, jumping from high school or after one or two years of college. It means players arrive with insufficient coaching and fundamentals, equally important with insufficient uh, repetitions of the fundamentals. Every year, there are more younger, unpolished players and fewer great all-around players. Think about it. We see it all the time. I see it all the time when I watch an NBA basketball game. I think to myself, man, that kid has all the skills in the world. However, He's a little unpolished, and it doesn't doesn't seem like that unpolished player could ever get completely polished playing in the NBA. It's got to be learned playing in high school, in college. And when kids leave college early, you know, not everyone, but a lot of them, right? There's always the occasional player that that is already polished, but many of them aren't, and many of them need those years. Look at all. Look at Look at all the players that are leaving early. This erodes the product, and the fans know it. Look at some of these draft picks. Anthony Bennett, number one pick in 2013. Andrew Wiggins, number one pick in 2014. Markel Fultz, number one pick in 2017. DeAndre Ayton, number one pick in 2018. Are we ever going to talk about those players like we do of Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, etc., etc.? I think the list goes on, right? Problem 13 for the NBA. Too much three-point shooting. The love of the three-point shot also contributes to the NBA decline. And you say, why? How does that, how does that work? Every NBA player wants to hit threes. And when they hit a three, they dance around pointing at themselves and screaming a roar like they like they just have just, you know, it's like the wide receiver catching a five yard pass in the end zone in an NFL game. Right. Announcers and sports writers are enablers. They wildly praise the three pointer that falls, but you'll rarely ever hear them criticize a bad shot. And when you're sitting there watching an NBA game and you and you see someone just take a poor percentage three-point shot, you say to yourself, oh my God, why is that guy shooting that? But you never hear that from the announcers. Too much three-point shooting. Too many guys standing around the three-point stripe just waiting for the ball to be thrown to them in the corner. I mean, it's it, it gets really, really bad, really bad after a while. Problem 14 
for the NBA. Poor shot selection. Shooting numbers in the NBA are poor for a lot of NBA players because NBA teams spend, spend much of their time launching low percentage shots. Anyone can go one-on-one and then heave up a low percentage prayer. Getting into position for a high percentage shot requires tactics, set plays, and coordination among players. One-on-one is everything in the NBA. Plays and coordination and offensive designs just doesn't exist as it used to. Problem 15 for the game. Games aren't accessible for everyone. NBA League Pass is much too expensive for almost anyone. So I leave I leave everyone with the question this question. Is the NBA inching toward a small entertainment company? One that doesn't cater to the average sports fan. The important group it has desired. Is that where we're headed in the NBA? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fan Man Podcast. You can catch all of the Fan Man Podcasts on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and most other platforms. Thank you for listening again to this episode. If you like what you heard or dislike what you heard, check out the Fan Man Twitter page, the Fan Man, at the underscore fan underscore man underscore, and tell me what you think. Thank you.